Want your business to have the best opportunity for success? Take a tip from tech industry leader Intel when you move or expand in Ohio. The new Silicon Heartland is the place forward-thinking business leaders find ample talent, a highly ranked business climate, convenient central location, plus an especially low-risk environment for site selection. Where else can you have all the room you need to grow while rubbing elbows with the giants in your industry? Visit successinohio.com today. This week on RVER, sponsored by Progressive Insurance. Oh, that new doctor is dropped at gorgeous. Oh, please, he's just another RV League educated surgeon with good hair. No, he's different. Nurses, we got a classy motorhome with a detached driver's side mirror. Meet me in the OR. Stat. Right away, doctor. No, 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 she's on break. I'll handle this one. Oh, you conniving little... When your RV really needs saving, Progressive has you covered. See if you could save with a leader in RV insurance. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates covered subject to policy terms. I'm Carrie Stevens. Fuck off, Jay Scott. Good evening, everybody. Once again, it is another episode of the Hook Rocks podcast. I am your host, Jay Scott. Welcome back. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe and staying healthy. A lot of craziness going on out there, but uh, let's just get lost in the music and music talk. That's what music is there for. It can be, it can be a healing antidote to help you get through these days and help you get through the stress of winter and help you get through the stress of whatever the hell's going on out there. I don't even know how to answer or even talk about it anymore. But once again, we have a great episode. We have a, another edition of the New Music Spotlight. And I'd like to welcome in Lacey Crow from the band Bourbon House from Wisconsin. How are you doing today, Lacey? What's going on? I'm doing great. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're able to do this. I've been a fan of you guys for a while. I discovered you, I think there was a... A show at like I think this was it Route sixty six or something like that. Oh really? I thought you just found us on Twitter. No, well, well, well I then I looked up your social media. I was I, I was gonna go to the show. I forget it was like it was like last. No, it wasn't last summer. It was maybe last uh, spring. Maybe it was last summer. Yeah. Um, I think it was spring. I think you're right, and it was a benefit show. Yes. Uh, it was the Rock for Relay. That's what it was. Yes. And I was going to yeah. go, and then I decided not to, but I was checking out the bands that were on the bill, and that's how I discovered you guys. Oh, awesome. I, that's an interesting story. I didn't know that. <laughs> I yeah. like that. Well, then I started you know, checking out the social media and everything and what you guys were about and what you guys were doing and uh, just became a huge fan. So thank you again for doing this episode. Oh, Awesome. So we always yeah, start, you're welcome. Oh, no worries. Uh, so we always start the same way every time we have a first-time guest on the podcast, and that is the same question we always ask, and that's the essence of the show. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock mm-hmm. fan has a moment, whether it's a song, an album, a band, or performance that hooked them on rock and roll. What was it for you? Um, I think that rock and roll kind of started a little bit late for me in life. Um, my parents were very uh, country music, very into country music. There was a lot of like Alan Jackson and Garth Brooks going on at home. Um, but my dad, uh, he had a little bit of an eclectic taste. So like once in a while he'd put in uh, CCR and then once in a while he'd put in Nazareth. And I think the first time I was like, um, this speaks to me more than than Garth Brooks and, and Reba McIntyre, you know, uh, is hearing, I think it was uh, the Razzmatazz album by Nazareth that my dad played. 
and I was just like, these guys rock. Like, they are rocking out. And this feels genuine to me. Like, it just feels, it feels good to listen to this. I think I would credit it to Nazareth and my dad. <laughs> That's interesting. I don't know um, if that's the answer you're looking no, for. No, <laughs> I, I, I don't look for I don't look for any answer on this. I love the different answers I get all the time. Um, right. You know whether it's you know someone like Glenn Hughes or whether it's someone like you know George Lynch or whether it's a new band like Bourbon House, like you guys. I don't even know what to expect. I just ask right. the question and I just wait for the answer, and it's really cool to it's- hear the differences. Mm-hmm. That is cool. Well, what, where did it go from there? I mean, obviously, Nazareth was your gateway, and that's what yeah. started you down the path. And then where did it develop to, you know, wanting to sing and, and wanting to be on stage? Um, that's, that's a weird thing, too, because I've always been a performer in, like, some aspects, but it wasn't singing, and it wasn't being on stage um, until like way, way later in life, really until Bourbon House um, started playing live shows is when, is when I started playing on stage, which was only like three years ago. So that's kind of crazy to think, but I've always been um, a performer. I, I did rhythmic gymnastics (laughs) as a kid. Um, And I, you know, I did some musical theater, um, dance. I did a lot of dance. I actually went to a really cool high school. This is in Canada, by the way. I'm Canadian. Going to drop that bomb. Um, there's a, a really cool school. It's called Sudbury Secondary School. And uh, it has an arts program. And you can basically have a major in any kind of art. So I, I was a dance major. So I danced every day of high school. And performed. And yeah. But uh, I'm kind of rambling a little bit here. <laughs> not at all um, yeah wanting to sing on stage is actually something I feared um, for most of my life I've, I've always been more of a shy person I'm definitely coming out of that now and honestly the music and playing out in front of people has totally helped me in that way so yeah it's just something that uh, almost almost fell on me you know, was there a performer that inspired you to want to sing and be on stage? Um, I don't know if there was necessarily like one performer, but I've always like really admired uh, Janis Joplin's stage presence, um, and and so she she's been inspiring for me. Um, my favorite singer performer is Chris Cornell um, and probably always will be um, yeah I guess like just you watching concerts and going to concerts and and feeling that you know feeling the energy from the crowd even being in the crowd you can only just imagine what it feels like being on stage so you mentioned yeah. you mentioned the fear of singing live and singing on stage how did you overcome yeah. that I just did it. <laughs> I just did it. You closed um, your eyes and jumped? Per, yeah, pretty much. Uh, so my, my family is very, very musical. So, um, you know, growing up, like, once in a while, I would come out of my shell, like, a little bit and, like, sing around the campfire, you know. Um, I did sing, like, in front of my school uh, a couple of times. But, again, it wasn't something I was, like, necessarily comfortable with I just like I knew that I needed to do it instinctually I just kind of knew that I needed to do this for myself um and it just got easier and easier and more fun uh and I'm far more comfortable now so yeah you know like you even have like the more you put yourself out there the more like haters you're going to get and people saying bad things and trying you know trying to bring you down and even that is like way less harmful to me than what I was doing to myself at that time so well you always have to know too as well the people that go online and say these things are the people that will never have the talent to get up on stage and do it themselves 
right? It's always those people that are like in their house and, you know, be becoming sure. the online critic when, you know, they're, they're, they're in their jorts and they're, you know, they're white, they're, wa- <laughs> they're, they're, they're white Walmart, uh, you know, gym shoes and they're, you know, whatever t-shirt and, and, uh, right. you know, and, and they're saying, Oh, I always, I always like it. Like when someone critiques someone's age, like if they see Robert plant or if they see someone else, Oh, sure. Doesn't sound like he used to. Well, he used to be 20 some years old. Now he's pushing seven. Exactly. You know? So it's like, exactly. like, where, like you, I mean, you don't look like you did when you were 20. So why would you think someone who's performing would be, you know, would be different. It's just, you know, it's the, it's how we develop as humans and, and age and all Absolutely. that stuff. And, and I always it's find age yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and then people want to critique people. And, and that's one of the things that I hate about the internet is everyone's a critic. Everyone, oh, yeah, for every, sure. everyone has their opinion and, you know, it can be, you know, I imagine, you know, you're, you're, you're an individual that d- doesn't let that bother them, but I imagine that there are people that, are bothered by that, you know, and absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I, you know, I definitely used to be bothered by that kind of stuff, but also that kind of stuff didn't really happen much before because I wasn't really performing before and I wasn't putting myself out there. Um, but yeah, definitely thinking about these people in their jorts, like you said, <laughs> they, yeah, you, you have to think of them as people who like, they do not have the balls that you have. Yep. So, whatever. <laughs> you got to brush it off. Yeah, absolutely. Also, if you're getting, like, for us, it, it's been really nice because we've had, like, a lot more positives than negatives. Um, we have really awesome fans. So, they're the only ones that matter. Yes, absolutely. You know, you can't, you know, get bogged down by people that you know, weren't going to listen to you anyway. And, you know, whether they're, whether they're writing a negative review for a restaurant a band they see, they're going to have that outlook pretty much with everybody. And, you know, so you can't really fight that. I mean, if you do choose to fight it, you're, you're, you're fighting an uphill battle. I mean, it's never going to, you're never going to win. And it's better to just ignore it like you do. Yep. I agree. The evolution of you as an artist, you know, hearing Nazareth being in, you know, a musical family, like you mentioned with your parents, um, you know, getting on stage, going to the high school that you went to. Now you've got to write music, right? Now you're in a band and you're writing music. How how are you inspired as a writer to put pen to paper and write lyrics for songs? Yeah, um, so it's something I've always wanted to do, but again, just like that self doubt, like fearing that I don't that I won't be able to do it or won't be able to do it. Um, successfully anyway I guess uh, it, it's, it's kind of uh, like a combination between me and Jason you know with, um, it's something that we can do well together um, and I don't necessarily like we don't necessarily try to write a certain kind of song um or or even any kind of genre obviously like we're a rock band and that you know that just speaks to us more and that's the kind of music that we write well right now but um yeah I don't really try to you know not really try to be very inspired when I'm writing music I kind of just like to let it come out you know organically well, I know you, you don't write, you just mentioned you, you don't write by being inspired. Where do you get your ideas from, though? Like, what, what do, you, do you write about you know, the experiences? Do you, you mm-hmm. know, write about things that you've wondered about? Where does that come from? Yeah, definitely uh, from experiences that, that, I mean, I think everybody has the same experiences in life a, a lot of times. So, you know, you can easily write about a bad relationship you had that's always like uh foolproof really um you know you can write about uh, things that just inspire you to be a better person um a lot of times we will actually have like a title in mind jason has like a whole book of just like titles that he's 
thought up. And sometimes I'll just go and I'll, I'll look through there and be like, this could be about this. And then you can just tap into a time in your life um, where you felt this certain way um, or you experienced a certain thing. That's basically how it happens. A lot of times it's, it's a title. I love knowing how you reconnect with or how an artist reconnects with a subject they're writing about, you know, especially if they write personal things. There's some artists that don't. There's some artists that don't like that vulnerability. They like to write about a story or, or think of an idea, just like an author writes a, writes a, writes a book, you know? Right. Um, but you, you mentioned personal things that you write about. And I always find it interesting to find, to, to discover where that artist or how that artist overcomes the vulnerability of writing about something personal. Cause you have to reconnect with something. You have to reconnect yeah. with an experience. You've got to write about it and then you perform it and you don't know if people are going to connect with it or not feel it or whatever. That's a very vulnerable stage to be in as a, as a songwriter. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree with that. How do you overcome that stuff? Um, you know, just like all of the other things, just like the, just the naysayers, the, um, being vulnerable, uh, on stage, just even performing, like you just push yourself through it and not knowing that people are going to connect with your music, I think is okay. Like, I think that's an okay thing because you know that some people will, some people will get it and some people won't. And it's, it's totally fine. When you are, you know, writing this, you know, writing material, writing a song, and you are connecting with an experience, do you ever find that you have a different perspective of something that you always felt one way, but then writing about it, it can be kind of therapeutic, and then you come out of it yeah. thinking a completely different way about something? Oh, yeah, almost always. Almost always that's how it feels. Um, well, yeah. Uh, like, I, I wrote a song... We wrote a song. It's on the new album. It's called Slow Burn. Um, and it's like, it's very, um, like, just like things like holding you back and weighing you down and, and how you feel and how you feel about it. And, uh, well, I think when I was, um, when I was writing it or like thinking about writing it, I was, I was feeling that way. Like I was absolutely feeling that way. Feeling, um, kind of held back um by certain you know people instances um towns places you know um definitely after writing it is uh and performing at least performed this song too because it's something that we recorded um last november so we've performed it a couple of times and yeah like after that, I just kind of felt like nothing actually holds you back. You know, like the song is not really about like overcoming. It's not about things holding you back. It's about overcoming things that do or you feel like they do. So it kind of took like almost a different meaning. When you talk about the new material, I know you guys are working on a new album. I know you just posted a few days ago that it was being going to be mixed soon. What is the time frame for new bourbon house music? So for the new album, we're thinking April, uh, hopefully for that release. And oh, some of the songs that we've already released will be on there. Uh, and then we are planning on before that, probably in March, releasing another single off of it. When you put out a new album during a pandemic, as we are in, and how what is the thought process, and how does that differ for you guys under normal circumstances? Um, well, I think that the only way it really differs is that, like, you can't, like, tour with your new material, you know? Um, that's the only thing, really. Like, because... Honestly, most of our fans come from things that we've released, uh, not so much the live shows. So I think that that's the only thing that's very different from it. And honestly, it's what we can do right now. So, 
Yeah. You got to, you know, you have to do you what know, you can do. Yeah. No, I, I, I've done a few interviews where, you know, they say the same thing. Well, I mean, our fans are waiting for new music. So why should we deprive them of new music? And we'll tour again someday. Um, or exactly. we'll, you know, we'll play out live someday and we'll just have more material. And also too, one of the, uh, an interesting perspective that, um, I heard in a previous interview was, you know, when we release new material, this is from a band, this is from John Bush, who's, who's in Armored Saint. They've been around for a while. Usually when we release a new album and the material comes out and we start playing it live, people go get their beer, they go get their whatever during those songs. Well, now that the album's out and we're not touring and people are listening to it, they have a chance to sit with it more and listen to it because there's really not much else to do except listen to new music and check it out and become a fan of that. So it kind of works in your favor by having music that people will be listening to and familiar with. And then you guys tour at some point and, you know, it kind of works out for everybody in that, in that way. Yeah, for sure. That's a really good point. When you're creating music during this time and, you know, let's face it, it's not the same as normal, you know, living every day. Mm -hmm. Is it hard to be creative when you're doing the same things and you're not living your life like you used to? Yes. <laughs> Short answer is yes. Um, so we we recorded um, four songs, five songs, five songs off of this album that's going to be coming out. Um, so we had been writing those songs um, kind of during uh, pandemic times, but um, those ones we had been writing for like a lot, a longer period of time. So it was easy for us to just like, when we got to that point, just to make them better and not overthink them, you know? Um, but these last four songs that we just recorded were definitely harder to write. And I think we, we wrote them in like, almost all of them we wrote them in in a month the, those four songs which is like pretty short <laughs> um amount of time and even when we went uh into the studio one of the songs was like not even not even complete i didn't have a melody to it you know and we did it but at the same time it kind of forces you to to not overthink things because yeah everything is the same and everything's kind of mundane and uh, everybody's a little bit better right now um, or a lot better right now so um i will definitely say that it was a little harder to write to write these last songs for sure getting back to bourbon house in the history where did you guys form how did you guys form well me and jason um we actually, we were doing, uh, like acoustic cover shows, um, you know, just to get out there and it was just fun. Like that's just all we were doing. We were playing a lot of like acoustic Zeppelin and like old school, like muddy waters, bluesy kind of stuff. Uh, and that's when we came up with the name actually is before we even had an original band or even thought of being in an original band. Uh, we were just like, we want something that sounds like bluesy, blues rocky. Um, so we were like, let's mix Bourbon Street and Sun House together. Bam, Bourbon House. Uh, and then, so we did that um, for for a couple of years. And then uh, we just decided, we were like, okay, we're kind of over this now. Um, you know, doing other people's songs. That's fun and great and whatever. But like, we want to push ourselves to do something different try writing and we ended up writing um and this is still just me and jason we wrote our ep our entire ep on an acoustic guitar uh and we were just gonna like play them at old mics play them at some some shows that we had locally uh but then we were like let's record these like we just kind of just wanted to keep going and just keep keep testing the waters on this kind of. Um, so we hired some people that are, that are friends of ours to, to do the bass and the drums. We went in and recorded it and um, 
just kind of nonchalantly almost released it. And then I think uh, a couple of DJs actually like picked up one of our songs that we were promoting on social media and they were like, this is great. That's a uh, music in your bones from our EP. And we're like, Oh wait, do people actually like this? Should we keep doing this? And it just kind of progressed from there. Uh, and we didn't even have a full band. Where did it go from there? I mean, you know, what is the collaborative process now? I mean, you guys actually you know, brought in a drummer and a bass player and you guys write yeah. material. I know you and talk about you and Jason writing music. Is everybody pretty much part of the collaborative process? Yeah. So usually it's me and Jason will write the, you know, just like the, obviously the core of the song. Um, and then we will have a rehearsal. And Ryan, our drummer, always knows what, what it needs. He always knows exactly what to do um, to, to make the song the way it's supposed to be. And yeah, we go from there and we build on it and then we change it several, several times. Um, but yeah, usually it's me and Jason who, who write it just because like, like we live together, like we're, we're here, you know, it's, it's definitely easier for us to, to get together and sit down and just do it. Um, but Ryan, our drummer, he actually wrote one of the songs that's on the next album too. So that was really cool. He came over um, and just played, you know, what he had on his acoustic guitar and he sang the melody as a really great voice too. And uh, we just made it a, a Broken House song together. So it is pretty, it's pretty collaborative. When you are writing music as a band and you're, you know, writing these songs to perform, you come, you come from a place where, you know, you do performing acoustic covers. And yeah. I, I imagine the way fans are now the way the music industry is now you get more reception from songs that are familiar to people that's why cover bands are so popular now you know we don't have yeah. to like it but that's just the way it is um yeah going from that to all original music is a big leap is it's a big risk because i imagine places don't pay as much for original bands mm -hmm. as they do for cover bands did was it always about being expressive and being creative rather than, you know, playing each other's, playing other people's music. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's far more rewarding to me to, to perform a song that we've created and have people respond to it. than it is for me to just, you know, repeat a song and have people dancing to it, even though, when we were doing the acoustic covers, we got paid a hell of a lot more, you know, than we do now. But the, the difference, yeah, the difference is just like kind of a, just kind of a spiritual thing, you know? Oh, I bet. Absolutely. Like I wouldn't give it up. For, I wouldn't go back to doing covers no matter how much they paid me <laughs> right now. Well, it's it also speaks to the heart of a creative person. I mean, you can mm -hmm. have that outlet of playing other people's music for so long until you say to yourself, you know, this is, these are not my songs, I, but I have yeah. this, I have this, I need this outlet to write music and perform it, but I want to perform my own songs. And, you know, it's not like it was years ago where original music thrived. People like to hear the jukebox when they go out on a Friday and Saturday night. They like to hear that music that they know. I've never been yeah. one of those people. I mean, I can, you know, cover bands, I can give or take. Um, you know, I mean, tribute bands are a little bit different because they're performing music of bands that can't perform anymore, so that's a little different. But nonetheless, it, it, is, a, it, it is a huge gap in terms of original versus cover music. And you know, I credit you know, these new artists like yourselves that are really taking the risk and really taking the gamble of performing and building your audience through original music that takes a lot of guts. It takes a lot of, um, it's a, it's a big risk for, for people to do that, especially when you've got bills to pay and you've got things to do. It's, it's not easy. And yeah. you know, I, I talk a lot about the state of rock and roll right now and how it's different and how it's, it's struggling. It's struggling for relevance. What, what is the scene like in Wisconsin? Like how, how is that? I know Madison is a college town, you know, Milwaukee has some really great mm -hmm. clubs, but how does that, you know, how is the, the 
original rock music scene in Wisconsin? Mm-hmm. Well, we have to talk like pre-pandemic time. Sure, sure. Kind absolutely. Because yeah, like yeah. you can't gauge how it is now. Yes. Um, you know, and actually like moving forward, I think it's going to be healthier than it was before. I don't think that the scene was very good um, for original bands, even even in Milwaukee and even in Madison. Um, there was a lot, of, definitely a lot of clubs doing it, but just like not a lot of not a lot of people, like you said, interested in hearing songs that they don't know. And I part of it is the oversaturation for sure of of everybody just picking up an instrument and throwing together, you know, four chord songs or whatever. That's probably part of it. Um but yeah, and then the other part of it is just people wanting to hear what they know. So I yeah, I don't really have like a really like positive thing to say about the Wisconsin um indie music scene. I hope it comes back better and healthier. Um, yeah. Yeah, it really is important. I do think, and I've mentioned this several times on the show, about rock and roll thriving after the pandemic and rock music really coming to the forefront again because people are going to want to go out and yeah. and there's going to be the need you know, for people to be entertained. Also, I think when there is a lot of angst and there is a lot of stress, Rock and roll does thrive under that. You know, people need that that rebellious outlet of, yes, of absolutely. Yeah, and I think the youth, especially. You know, if you're a kid, you know, I, I have a 16 year old son, and you know, he's basically told me it sucks doing the same thing every day. It sucks doing this, and mm-hmm. you know, and I notice a change with him and his friends in the music they listen to, um, mm-hmm. where, where it came from pop music and hip hop to now rock music, and I think yeah. it's because of that need to have a little I don't want to say anger in your music but a little bit more aggression in the music mm-hmm. more aggression yeah just like more like just like freedom like I feel like there's a lot of freedom in, in rock music there is there's a lot of freedom and a lot of expression that mm-hmm. you know I, I mean other in pop music there really isn't anything expressive in the song itself well, there is I shouldn't say that but more it's more about the image in pop music and expressing yourself through imagery and, and performance where I think is you know rock music obviously there's the performance there as well and that's important but I really do think it's all about the song um, when it comes to yeah. rock music for sure you and may- I think that that's why like live you know live streaming concerts for like for rock bands is kind of kind of a weird thing like you talk about the imagery of like pop music and stuff that I think that they could do maybe just fine with with like doing live streams forever because they have a show and they have the imagery and they have the dancers and they have stuff but like rock music like you need to be there and you got to like feel it and I don't know it's, it's very different it is different when you think about your creative background and going to an art school in Canada or studying, you know, arts in high school, whereas Mm -hmm. schools here in, in the United States largely don't have programs like that. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, we used to have music appreciation class. We used to study music as part of our requirement to graduate. And, you know, whether you listen to classical or jazz during class, it gave you an appreciation of the instruments and the performance and the performer uh, and the person mm-hmm. who wrote the music. Now, when people don't or kids don't have music education or arts education, it's it's no wonder yeah. that music without instruments is popular because right. they don't understand that instruments can play that music. Where now everything's on the computer, yeah. everything is digitalized. How much do you think is is that, or how much do you think that impacts kids in music, in rock music in general, because they really rely on that stuff? Yeah, I, I think it impacts them a lot. I think you need to, 
like it's it's hard for them to like pay attention to what to what's actually happening, you know. Um, and it, so if they're just like forced to forced to hear all this stuff that's not being played by real people and real instruments, it's kind of it's kind of all you know unless you seek it out and somebody points it you know, points it out to you. That's where like parents come into play. Like <laughs> you got to show your kids rock music. You got to show it to them. Absolutely. You know, you have to, you know, a lot of kids think that it's dad's music or mom's music or whatever, but you right. know, there, there, there still is that rebellion side. I mean, you know, when you look at this past year, you know, the ACDC album comes to mind when I talk about celebrating rock music and, that's a that's an album that everybody's kind of celebrated and, and kind of saying, wow, this is a great album. This is kind of what we needed in 2020. Um, whether you like ACDC or not, it's still a great moment to celebrate rock music. And I think rock music needs more celebration of yeah. why it's great. Instead of having these artists, whether it's Miley Cyrus or, gosh, I think it was My- Mariah Carey who said the other day she was going to do a rock album – we need to stop that. Like that doesn't really do anything in my opinion. Like, <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like that, that, that doesn't open doors up for more fans. It never does. As much as we like to think it does, it really doesn't. And to right. me, you know, rock and roll is all about authenticity. And yep. when someone's just kind of going, all right, I think I'll do a rock album right now in my career. There, there's no authenticity to that. And, and rock fans can sniff that out. For sure. And that's very like frustrating for people who are trying to do it authentically. Like, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah. also too, you know, when you talk about with you and in your, you know, you're working hard to build a fan base and create original music. It's it's almost like someone cuts to the line, you know, like like right. they're they're they're, yeah. they're relying on their pop music history or whatever music they were to kind of cut in line in front of everybody that's been working their tail off for however many years to just all of a sudden release a rock album and everybody, then it's not even, it's not even rock and roll. They define it as rock. And then you listen to it like, well, this isn't rock music. Yeah. And you know, that's going to happen when it, when it comes from somebody like that, you know, you know, it's not going to be rock. It's not going to be rock because it's going to be forced. Well, that's another question I have too for you is we have seen over the last few years that, people are trying to redefine what rock music is. Yeah. Whether you see Rock and Roll Hall of Fame nominations or Grammy nominations, you look at the list or when Billboard puts out their top rock albums and you look at it, you're like, none of this is rock music. Why is this stuff listed as rock music? And I, and I know there's always the evolution of the art form, but this isn't rock. It's not rock music. It, ne- it never would be rock under any generation. Any other circumstance. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and thankfully, I think there are quite a few bands that are kind of breaking through now, even if they've been around for a long time. But I feel, I feel grateful um, to these to these bands. Um, I know that you did an interview with uh, someone from Goodbye June. Um, you know, Rival Sons. Like these, obviously, these bands have been around and. Uh, but I, I do feel like they're breaking through because I think a lot of it has to do with, like you said, like the Grammy nominations and like rock radio just playing this this music that like only once in a blue moon will they play a Rival Sun song, you know, in between. And then everything else sounds like the same kind of rock music and people are like I can't do that anymore I need to look for something else I feel like this is genuine rock music you know so we can be thankful that some bands are getting some recognition now it helps us smaller bands it helps us so absolutely you know you mentioned Rival Sons you know they're one of my favorite bands I've seen them live a couple of times and they're fantastic (laughs) live and you know that's what that's what people should be celebrating. That's what I'm talking about. You know, celebrate that music because that is rock and roll. That's that comes from the heart of guitar driven blues based rock and roll that everybody knows and loves. And that should be celebrated. Not some pop star who kind of bored and doesn't know what to do for her next album and decides to, I'll do a rock album just so they can get 
a Grammy nomination that'll increase sales for their already, you know, million dollar worth, you know, discography that they have. So. Right. Yep. (laughs) Absolutely. I do know that you have a interest in horror movies and those kind of theatrics too, as well. Um, Uh (laughs) How does that impact the band in terms of performing, in terms of writing music? Do you ever get inspired? Because I know, you know, obviously imagery has no sound, but it does have a tone, right? Depending on what the image is. Does that ever inspire you to write music? Yeah, definitely. We do have uh, quite a few songs. I don't know if it's quite a few, but we do have some songs that are like darker. um, and, And obviously, like you said, like I'm a horror movie fan, so I've always kind of like dark, gothic-y kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, it does play a little bit of, of influence. Um, I basically always wear black on stage. It's just a thing, but it's kind of something I do always like in everyday life too. Um, so there's a little bit of that imagery, but I don't think we'll ever go like full, like horror, you know, we're not going to like rob zombie it up or anything like that. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, there's a little bit of darkness. Definitely. And I like that. I mean, it kind of gives a little bit more edge to the music because even though it may not be theatrical, like a horror movie or whatever, like I said, viewing that stuff and having an interest in that stuff gives you a different perspective on tone and it gives you a different perspective on emotion too as well. Absolutely. Yep, I agree. When you talk about the new album that's coming out, hopefully this spring, what can you tell us about the new material? Um, well, I can tell you that it's the best of Bourbon House, for sure. Um, the, these last four songs specifically are like, they're heavier, um, than a lot of stuff we've done. So expect more heaviness. Um, obviously we have, we just have blues undertones in, in everything we do. Um, a lot of riffs. There's actually one song that has seven different riffs in it. It's kind of our oddball song, but uh, it was something we wanted to try, something we wanted to do. I don't think it's going to be everybody's favorite song on the album, but uh, it might be some people's favorite, you know, uh, because it's it's a little more out there. But yeah, definitely a lot of rock. Uh, most of the most of the songs are like pretty upbeat rock and roll. Um, we do have a couple of slow songs on there. Yeah. I, I, I think it's the best. I, we're super proud of it. Um, we worked with two different engineers for this. So there's like a little bit of like a, some dynamic that just happened organically there. Um, we're going to have them all remastered so that they, so that they sound more cohesive though. But uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be good. And as far as the writing process for for this, I know that you mentioned there's some songs that you previously released that will be on it, but in terms of the newer stuff, mm-hmm. was a lot of this written during the pandemic? Yeah, all of it. All of it was. Um, well, no, 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 no. That's a lie. Um, a couple of the songs, yeah, a couple of the songs were written pre, pre-pandemic because I know that the show that you were going to go go and see um, at Route 20, we did perform two of them, I believe. Um, but one of them was Too High to Care, which which has already been uh, released. Yeah, I like that song. Um, that's a really good nice. song. So with this record, obviously the unknown is touring and playing live. What, yeah. what is the plan? Do you guys have some sort of plan to kind of weave your way through this stuff through all this mess yeah well we do we just don't know what's gonna stick that's that's the hardest part about it because we um we signed on with a with an agent we're on his roster um blind anxiety entertainment is what it's called and uh he started booking us a tour um last year before before we knew that this was going to last forever um it does feel like he, forever. he started booking his, yeah uh well so he he booked us a couple 
of tours, actually. And one of them got completely um, wiped out. And that was supposed to happen in uh, October of last year. That just completely, you know, went away. I think we had to cancel two of the dates or, or reschedule two of the dates, but every other one was canceled. And the only reason we did, obviously, is because we had to. It was stupid to have it still there. Um, but so we have a tour booked right now, actually. Um, it's just like a three week tour. It's in March. So we will see. Now we'll, it, we'll see what, what sticks. <laughs> is it local to Wisconsin or where, where other areas or what other areas are you going to be traveling to? It's not local to Wisconsin. I think we only have one Wisconsin show, uh, and that would be in, in Janesville. We are going through Oklahoma. We're going down to Texas, um, Florida. Uh, I think we have some in, we have some in Georgia. Um, that's all I can think of right now. But yeah, so there's like a three week, like kind of like a Southern loop. We have an Alabama show too. I know that. Nice. So yeah. Now Janesville, that's what? Half hour from Rockford? Yep. Okay. So that's not too bad. Maybe I could, you know, come out to that show because I wanted to see you guys at that one benefit show and I didn't make it out there. But Rockford's probably about 50 minutes to an hour from me. So that wouldn't be a bad haul to do that. Nice. Yeah, that would be, uh, I think that's our last show. So that would be like April 3rd, I believe, is is that show in Janesville. Um, I think we do have some in Illinois, though, as well. But we will be we'll be announcing those tour dates um, very sh- like pretty shortly, and just <laughs> just hope for the best. This is like all we can do for for everything in life right now. So that's where we're at. It is, but yeah. there is a plan. Yeah, it's just got to be um, frustrating. You know, you've got some material material that you're proud of, and you want to play. Yeah. It. And you just don't know. And it's that's got to be right. insanely, you know, frustrating for you. Mm-hmm. We do um, also have a tour um, in November of next year that's in the process of, of being booked right now. So that would be, you know, the kind of kind of fail-safe, I guess. Like, it'll be hopefully that one at least will stick. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed that, Everything yeah. does get back to somewhat normal and bands are allowed to play and, and people are allowed to go see live music again. Hopefully that's coming. I know I just read mm-hmm. either today or yesterday that the numbers are going down in a lot of states. So hopefully that's a good sign. I know with the warm weather last year, you know, the cases did go down pretty low. So hopefully hopefully we can all kind of get get this thing behind us and just move forward. Yeah. Yeah, hopefully. Well, Lacey, thank you very much for doing this. I do appreciate it. Once again, everybody, that's Lacey Crow from the band Bourbon House. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Well, before we, you know what, one last thing. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on Facebook, Twitter, all the social media outlets? Sure, yeah. Um, Facebook and Instagram are both Bourbon House official. Um. On Twitter, we're very active on Twitter. Um, it seems to be like the easiest way to actually communicate with people without being like shadow banned or anything, you know. Um, that is bourbon house underscore. Okay. And then we are always like, you know, bands in town, if you want to track us on there, we're on there. Uh, we have a website, bourbonhouserocks.com. Uh, we have an email list, and you can get in on some VIP stuff if you want to join that. Yeah. No, that's exciting. You guys are great band. Great things are ahead for you guys. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks again for doing the show. Thank you. All right, everybody. This is another episode of the New Music Spotlight on the Hook Rocks podcast. Thank you very much for tuning in. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at the Hook, at the Hook Rocks. I'm Jay Scott. Take care of yourself, stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you.
Progressive is America's number one motorcycle insurer, so we understand motorcycles. No, really, we have a bike translator. Okay, so this bike says she is struggling with her place in the motorcycle community. Well, she says she hasn't peaked yet, but she's having a little epiphany. Okay. Oh, that maybe life itself is the peak. Hmm, interesting. In my experience, I found that... That's why I just translate. Not allowed to have opinions. Got it. Quote with Progressive and see if you could save with America's number one motorcycle insurer. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.